There is a story that I know. It's about the earth and how it floats in space on the back of a turtle. I've heard this story many times, and each time someone tells the story, it changes. Sometimes the change is simply in the voice of the storyteller. Sometimes the change is in the details. But in all the tellings of all the tellers, the world never leaves the turtle's back, and the turtle never swims away. One time, a young girl in the audience asked about the turtle and the earth. If the earth was on the back of a turtle, what was below the turtle? Another turtle, the storyteller told her. And below that turtle? Another turtle. And below that? Why, another turtle. The girl began to laugh, enjoying the game, I imagine. So how many turtles are there? She wanted to know. The storyteller shrugged. No one knows for sure, he told her, but it's turtles all the way down. The truth about stories is that's all we are. What I just read was the opening of Thomas King's book, The Truth About Stories. Of the 542,000 books I acquired during seminary, (laughs) this was probably my favorite. King begins each essay more or less the same way with the story of the turtles. And then he finishes each essay with this charge. He says, the story I just told you, it's yours. Do with it what you will. Tell it to friends. Forget it. But don't say in the years to come that you would have lived differently if only you had heard it. You've heard it now. This is where I want to start today's sermon. I want to talk about stories (laughs) and backing up. The stories of our lives with our ongoing struggles against injustice and oppression and with all of the hate and fear that we hear in the news, with all the daily challenges of life and work and family, it seems worth saying aloud that our lives and the way that we live them are the text of a resistance, our own testaments to resilience, our manifestos against cynicism and despair. In the end, our stories are all we have. How we write them matters. To be fair, it does seem like the perfect time of year to talk about our stories. Summer has arrived. And while I understand that this is a time of jubilation for some of you, it's a time of tribulation for others, I like to think of summer as a time of introspection. Maybe it's the heat that invites me to slow down and ask questions. Questions about who we are, the life that we're living, and the world that we're living it in. Questions about who we're going to be and what we're going to do. Or maybe it should be do in front of be. Meadville Lombard, my seminary, has this phrase, one I've heard over and over again during my first year, and it goes like this. Act yourself into a new way of thinking. 
act yourself into a new way of thinking. There's a reversal there, right? We usually try thinking our way, maybe even arguing our way into change. But my seminary is taking a very deliberate jab at us Unitarian Universalists. The old joke goes that Christianity is the religion where the word was made flesh. Unitarian Universalism is the religion where the flesh was made back into the word. It's okay to laugh. These are the jokes, people. (laughs) But we're an in-our-heads kind of people, aren't we? Given the chance, we'll happily talk an idea right to death. It's kind of what we do. But being good is not the same as doing good. And if you want to change yourself or your world, my professors might say, start with a little doing. Our thinking can catch up later. So while I have you captive this morning, I want to do a bit of creative visualization, some doing about our thinking, if you will. What I want us to do is to imagine that we are the author of the novel that is our life. Better still, imagine our doings as the words and phrases, the anecdotes and the parables, the story arcs and the plot devices of that novel. Got it? Not too weird. Here's the twist. When this summer morning ends... And we go out into the world no longer just daydreaming, but now acting our way into new ways of thinking. I want you to imagine living in such a way that this novel is one we would recommend to our friends. That's the key. Living is one thing. Living in such a way that it becomes a story someone else might find worth reading puts an entirely different spin on it. Now, this isn't my idea. I borrowed it from the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche from his book Twilight of the Idols, where he described the meaning of life as a life that is lived with authenticity. Authenticity, that aligning of action with belief and desire, regardless, perhaps even heedless, of pressure or influence. For Nietzsche... Authenticity was a purely artistic act. Ultimately, we should look to no role models, gather no advice from friends, seek no guidance from heroes. Instead, we should strike a path as unique as we are. And only then will our work, our life's work, the work that is our life, only then, Will it be truly meaningful? Before we go any farther, I should mention that this kind of authenticity is also deeply problematic. It encourages a kind of melodramatic, hyper-masculine collapse of meaning, value, and truth into a potentially poisonous individualism. (laughs) On second thought, maybe I'll save that for another day. But the idea that our lives are a novel that we are supposed to write, I think that's one worth considering every day. Because if we let our culture, our careers, and the general busyness of our regular lives distract us from our one true job, 
the job of living our life, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble because who else is going to do that job for us? We're all loaded up, aren't we? Even now, moving into summer, we reflexively overfill every hour. Our brimming days, a slippery, seamless slide into weeks, months, and years. And the next thing we know, we are saying to each other, wow, where has the time gone? And the writing of the script of an intentional life, one full of love, service, spirituality, justice, that was just another task that we handed off to a ghostwriter years ago. As my old friend, Ferris Bueller, once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Can I confess something? This was my fear, this missing it. Four years ago, I was a corporate executive. I led large teams. I talked CEOs out of millions of dollars. I had bonus checks. I was successful. I was working an undetermined number of hours a week. I had conference calls starting at 7 a.m. I was answering email at midnight on Sundays. I was traveling every week. I spent more time with my boss than my wife, more time with clients than my kids. And while I am genuinely baffled as to how any of that happened to a guy who once dreamed of being an academic, I am reminded of John Lennon, who said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. 25 years ago, I had plans. I didn't mean to drop those plans. I had reasons. I was broke. I needed a job. I made what I hoped was the best decision at the time, each time from the choices that I felt were available to me. And in between, life happened. But I wonder what would have happened to my story if someone had stopped me, looked me in the eye like I am looking at you this morning and said to me, it doesn't have to be this way. If you're you're like me, you look into the faces of the kids in our congregation and imagine who they might one day be. I'm pretty sure we all do this with kids at one time or another. The potential that they represent can be overwhelming. But when was the last time you looked into the mirror and saw that same potential? When you last asked yourself, am I the person that I imagined? And if not, when am I going to start working on that chapter? Now, truth is, none of us come to a project like this from scratch. We've all lived a bit already, regardless of exactly how old we were when today found us. Metaphorically speaking, the novel that is our life has at least a few pages already filled in with furious scribbling. And that's okay. In fact, that's exactly right. But what I want us to do with this next page is perhaps see for the first time, or first time in a long time, 
that what gets put down on that page is at least in some measure still up to us. Yes, certain things will need to be there. Yes, some of us have more pages to work with. All that is true. And as the author of our stories, we still get to decide the shape of at least some of our story. Every blank page can be an opportunity for the unexpected. Writers call that literary device a plot twist. You know what I'm talking about, right? The story is going along one way, and the next thing you know, something really unexpected happens. Sometimes these plot twists are superficial. Sometimes they're a sign of deeper change. The key is that they are unexpected. It can make the story exciting and certainly keeps our readers on their toes. So in the spirit of adding some texture to some of our stories, I asked our Google overlords for some real-life examples. Stan Lee of Marvel Comics, some of you may know him, published his first comic book when he was 39. Did you know that Walt Disney was fired from his job in 1919 because, quote, he lacked imagination? (laughs) Yeah. Andrea Bocelli, anybody know Mr. Bocelli? He was a practicing lawyer before he decided on a career change and became a singer. Anybody here like to eat out? A couple of you, maybe. Look, we're in Frederick, right? Tina and Nina... Sorry, Tim and Nina Zagat were both lawyers also, when in their late 30s they published their first collection of restaurant reviews under the Zagat name. Did you know that Vera Wang entered the fashion industry when she was 40? Julia Child published her first cookbook when she was 50, started her PBS show when she was 51. Some of you are old enough to remember Dr. Ruth, She started her sex talk radio show when she was 52. Frances Woofenden may be a name you don't know, but she's won over 100 medals in competitive water skiing. I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) But she started water skiing when she was 50. Giorgio Armani started designing clothes after his 60th birthday. Colonel Sanders was 62 when he founded Kentucky Fried Chicken. Laura Ingalls Wilder published her first book, Little House in the Big Woods, when she was 65. Peter Mark Roger published his thesaurus when he was 73. Any painters out there? Grandma Moses started her painting career at 76, started her career at 76. Any runners? Y'all are nuts. (laughs) No bears, no running. It's my theme. But Gladys Burrell ran her first marathon when she was 86. Dorothy Davenhill Hirsch went to the North Pole when she was 89. Nola Ox, this is one of my favorites, Nola Ox completed her bachelor's degree at 95 and then went on immediately and completed her master's degree when she was 98. Harry Bernstein was 96 when he published his first book, The Invisible Wall. 
Lucita Hartado, a painter all her life, held her first solo studio exhibition when she was 98. And this one's a little rough. Georgina Harwood celebrated her 100th birthday by skydiving and then followed that up with a swim with great white sharks. I can't even imagine what the invitation to that birthday party would have looked like. (laughs) Now, if you twist my arm, I will confess that the younger me took the idea of plot lines in the write your life as a novel maybe a tad too seriously. For example, one of my old journals actually has the line, I want to write my deeds in the book of life with words of fire. All I can say is that there are worse inspirations than the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) But it does bring me to an important point. Not everyone must quest through the dark and poisonous lands of Mordor to cast the ring of power into the fires of Mount Dune to save the world from never-ending darkness just so they can say that their life was meaningful. Just because... Our lives are not fantastical, and scope does not mean that our stories are less worthy. To quote the wizard Gandalf the Grey, some believe it is only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is in the small every deeds of ordinary folk. That's what keeps the darkness at bay. Small acts of kindness and love. I take great comfort in these words. Given some of my recent life choices, I will probably never be rich. This is a shame because I would be an excellent rich person. Please trust me when I tell you that no one was more surprised than I was when I finally realized that being me was more important than being rich or successful. I had it wrong. Instead, I had to discover that my greatest joy came from those around me, and that rather fundamental realization, cliche though it is, is what led me to being here with you this morning and occasionally telling you at least some of the things I wish someone had told me. No, I won't be rich, and no, there will be no Mount Doom or words of fire for me. Instead, I got an unexpected gift, a chance to live a different sort of life. As we turn to the close, I want to tell you about one of my own roadblocks, something that stalled me for years, and it's something I suspect Maybe a roadblock for some of you. It's this. There really is no such thing as a perfect story. There's a lot of reasons why this is, but one of the main ones is the fact that there will always be more to do, more to say, more to learn, more to explore. There will never be enough pages. The possibilities of life are endless, and the crime that is the human condition is that we are given only just so much time. 
with no sequels and no do-overs. What I take from this is that mistakes have to happen. Like many characters in my favorite books, I'm going to get it wrong. We are all going to get it wrong. We simply don't have time to get it perfect. And just as tragically, we will probably never hit perfect authenticity. And you know what? So what? The sooner we realize that mistakes not only happen, but are exactly what make our lives interesting, what makes our stories human, then the sooner we can take a risk. A risk that creates, a risk that changes things, a cliffhanger that sets up that next chapter. So in that spirit, I invite you to remember what Reverend Carl has told us repeatedly. We are all saved from perfection. I can, uh, I can do better. I graduated from seminary, so now I, I can do one, one thing more. If you please join me in the attitude of prayer. By the power invested in me, by the spirit of life and love, and bestowed upon me by the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association, and in accordance with divine law, divine writ, human nature, I hereby absolve you, my friends and neighbors. I absolve you of the sin of perfection. <laughs> Ego te absolvo. There, now you're free to make those plot twists really interesting. Change is an act of creation. We may not be God, but our lives, our stories, those are ours to write. And this summer, as the heat settles in, I invite you to imagine the pen in your hand, your fingers over the keys, to feel the empty page that's been there all along whispering your name. Because like the turtles, we human beings, we're stories all the way down. Remember Nietzsche, a meaningful life is a novel you'd recommend to a friend? That idea? That idea is yours now. Write it down. Tell it to your friends. Live it boldly or forget it entirely. Do with it what you will. But don't say in the years to come that you would have lived your life differently if only you had heard it. You've heard it now. Because the truth about stories is that's all we are. Amen.